0: Straight from the Mayor's Mouth, with Matthew Dickerson, from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello there everyone, and welcome to Straight from the Mayor's Mouth. Hello there Matt, how are you? A
1: bit tired this morning actually.
0: I hear that you've just turned 100.
1: I'm pretty happy with that, actually. A hundred park runs today. Isn't
0: that fantastic? Here, here. Well done, buddy. That's, That's very, it's... very impressive.
1: And look, I love Dubbo Park Run. I think they do a fantastic job here. It's taken eight years for me to get to a hundred park runs. Well, I'm
0: still impressed by that because I'm <laughs> nowhere near that yet.
1: But one of the things I have actually enjoyed, and I had a look at this the other day, knowing that my hundredth was coming up was that I've actually run at 16 different parkrun locations wow. in those hundred. So yeah, it is yeah. something if I am traveling or I'm away somewhere and I'm happening to be doing on a Saturday morning I do like to go and do yeah. the parkrun there. But absolutely out of those 16, there is no doubt in my mind that the Dubbo park Parkrun is better, better organized. Yes. Better track along the river there, That's better good. variety. Yeah. So well done to our organizers. Well done those organizers, I'm talking about people like Miriam, I'm talking yes. about people like Tim those organisers, when they first started, had to pick a track. So they've obviously picked a great track to start with. Yep. But the volunteering that we get, mm. there was no week doubt about it. Week in, week it. out. They're oh, always there, aren't they? You've got to book in months in advance to volunteer. Yeah. And I've been to other park runs. I've been to 16 different park runs, as yep. I said. And sometimes there'll be people at the beginning saying, oh, remember folks, we need more volunteers. Can someone Mm. help out today? Can someone? We've got no one next week. Can someone please help? So you hear that in other park Mm. runs and then you get to Dubbo and they go, right, we're taking bookings for September. September,
0: that's (laughs) right. October, you name it, that's right. So So I have to ask you the question, mate. So so 100 park runs. So you've been doing lots and lots of practice leading up to this. So did your time improve today? Did you smash out a record time?
1: I didn't, as we talked about last week with Mm. the new track, that was my best time for the year. I was about 10 seconds slower today. So 10 seconds slower. Yeah, oh, well, I so suppose age shall not weary
0: them. <laughs> <I? laughs>
1: but as you know, it's not about the time you're doing It's all about participation and getting up on a Saturday morning oh, and being active.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, yes. Well, I've all seen the ads too with the fact that it's it's not about winning until it is. <laughs> <laughs> until it is. That's right. Until my kids are
1: there. <laughs> That's right. <laughs>
0: All right, buddy, let's get into it. Uh, So, look, big news this week. Um, There's been the announcement. I know we've talked about it a couple of times on the podcast in regards to the Touch Football. Now, of course, the Touch Footy uh, had that New South Wales State Championships uh, game back in February, and they were a massive success here in Dubbo. Big announcement. It looks as though we've secured it for the next three years. So talk us through. How did it all go?
1: Look, fantastic. Our staff have done a wonderful job, and our community did a wonderful job Mm. back in February. And there's no doubt about it that, after February, everyone said, well, is going to get this for the next three years. Mm. But it's not a given. Mm. you still got to go through a process. So yeah, we started yeah. to put in an application. You may remember that you go back three years ago, Dubbo put an application in to host that event for mm. the next three years. And the event is the New South Wales Touch Junior State Cup Championships for the Northern Conference. Mm. So we put a bid in and we didn't get it. Port Macquarie got it. And it's a competitive landscape. And yes, well yes. done to Port Macquarie. When it came to the first year of that three-year contract, it got rained out. Yeah. The second year of that three-year contract got rained out. Yeah. And it's just, that's bad luck. Mm, that's Paul, right. Port didn't do anything wrong with that. It was just plain, good yep. old-fashioned bad luck. Got to the third year of the contract, which was this year. So the contract mm. was for 2021, 2022, 2023. Yep. Got to this year, and New South Wales Touch, essentially, the feedback they got from their members was, don't go to Port Macquarie for the third year of this contract because it's going to be rained mm. out or their fields can't handle it mm. or whatever. Now, yep. with the weather, it is just luck. Yeah, absolutely. So New South Wales Touch said, said we'll look somewhere else. They went out to a number of other places, presumably the places that put in for bids back at the last contract, mm. and said, would you like to host it as a one-off? Yep. It's not a three-year contract. It's just a one-off. We put our hand up and we were successful. So we held that in February this year, as you said. Yep. We had 187 junior touch football teams. They came from... All parts of the northern part of the state, including mm. a whole range of areas in Sydney, Sydney metro areas as well. We estimated that about 7,000 visitors came. It's an enormous over, number, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Mm. went for over three days. $4 million, again, wow. estimated yep. into the economy. And we've got a whole yep. range of things we've talked about before yes, and we how did. we work. About out, out last week, I think. Yeah, those numbers. Yep. So fantastic. One of the things that was fantastic out of that as well was mm. that. Council, so many times people expect council to put their hand in their pocket Mm. and pay money to an organisation. And I remember having some conversations with New South Wales Touch General Manager, Dean Russell, before the tender process closed. And I actually said to Dean, I just don't think it's fair on the community for us to hand over cash to New South Wales Touch. Mm. I want to put in an application that's got no cash being handed over from council we'll make everything right for you. We'll make our Mm. grounds perfect. Mm. We'll have them all line marked. We'll have grandstands in place. So we'll do all the the on-the-ground work for you. I think that can be a greater contribution than just handing over cash. And again, they can't say, yep, that's fine, you'll get it because it's a tender Mm. process. But they said they are open to that idea. Dubbo Touch Association were keen to have it. So Mm. they contributed some cash to go towards the event, but council didn't. Now, we won the event based on that for this year. But again, then going back for the three-year bid, we had to be brave to yeah. stick to our guns. So did you
0: do the same thing again? Because that's it's in, in this modern world where so many of the associations are literally going out cap in hand and saying, well, how much can you offer me? How much can you offer me?
1: And it's and more seems than, to be the way
0: it's going. And it's, it's more
1: than going out cap in hand. It's almost going out we, to a Dutch auction. I was going to say, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. So it's it. a,
1: Or a silent auction probably more accurately. Yeah. So put your bids in and we're expecting to have some cash there. Yeah. So we did the same thing. We said, we will do all the groundwork for you. We'll make sure it's absolutely spot on but we don't want to pay you any cash. Double Touch Association to their credit also came on board but they said here's $15,000 cash. Okay. So they've actually contributed cash yep. Yep. for that it's again it's brave because mm. many organizations just expect 100 grand cash yeah, or absolutely. some large sum to secure that event but I believe we had a good enough product being our city yep and the track record from this mm. year mm. and we had Feedback from people. I walked around at the carnival, just watching some games, talking to various people, coaches, mm. players, etc. And some of the the coaches, or some of the even the parents, just went, "Wow, your grounds are fantastic." who did you get to prepare your grounds for yeah. you?
0: <laughs> Funny that, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. yeah,
1: look, our staff actually know what they're yeah. doing here. Wow, your staff did this. That's fantastic. So they were a bit surprised by that. Yep. And even the accommodation, the accommodation was tight. There's no doubt about it. Yep. We had people staying in places like mine, in places like Wellington, so places that were nearby. Mm. And most motels were booked out within minutes yes. of it being I announced. i imagine they
0: are already booked out again for the next three years, I'd suggest. Once this was announced, I'm sure yes. that's
1: exactly what happened. But on the back of all that, And on the back of a fantastic tournament, and also there was definitely comments, a number of comments from people involved in it that just said, the Dubbo community opened their arms Mm. for us to come along. So that was a really positive thing as well. Yeah, 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 I think so. So Dubbo can pat itself on the back. All Dubbo residents can pat themselves on the back for this tournament. So we've secured it for the next three years. I actually expect more than 187 teams will turn up next year because...
0: So you're expecting bigger numbers?
1: I think so, because this year some people might have gone, oh, we're going to go to Port Macquarie, mm. but Dubbo, oh, gee, I don't really know about Dubbo. Mm. Surely they'll just have a paddock full of clods of dirt to yep. play on. Yep. That one be not be good. won't much
0: out there, not worth the trip.
1: All that sort of thing. Yeah. The feedback then from all the clubs about how positive it was, I'm sure mm. next year people will go, well... I heard that last year was really fantastic and it's now got it for the next three years. We'll we'll go and put a team in this year. That's probably
0: also uh, sent a message out there to other councils out there in regards to say, hey, listen, there's another way to secure major events. You, You don't have to be offering lots and lots of money to people to turn around to come here. Look at the service options that we've offered and how we've gone about this. You could well have created a bit more of a model here for other councils to follow
1: shh, don't tell them. So
0: <laughs> Did I say that out loud?
1: <laughs> and I, I actually do think it's a bit of a problem where councils de- have started to get into a bidding war yes, and yes. all that does is escalate it and we've talked about the NRL. I can't think of a better example mm. or a worse example as the case may be than the NRL where councils are almost trying to outbid each other yeah, to yeah. secure those events because the residents want that event and the clubs are just sitting back there going, well it used to be a hundred grand. It used to be fifty grand maybe. Now it's three fifty grand. Now it's four hundred grand. That's right. Well they'll just take it. it. They're 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 running a business. So if councils keep increasing their bids, then they're gonna take the money. They're not gonna say, well are you thinking about your ratepayers? Are you doing the Mm. best thing by your ratepayers? They're Mm. saying, We'll take the money, thanks very much. Mm. So I I think you're right. There's probably a lesson to be learned there Mm. that maybe it's something that we should look at what strengths we've got rather than just trying to hand over cash. Yeah. But at the same time, it's hard when someone says to you, "Can you please hand over cash and you'll get this tournament? Yeah. That'll be good for all of your businesses and ratepayers." Gee, it's tempting for councils to say, "Sure, I can see the benefits for our community for yeah. that." But anyway, we've done well. Really That's happy with, with really with Debo Touch Association. Yes. Happy with New South Wales Touch, and I think the community will jump on board again. I think it'll be another great tournament. We've got the dates for next year. The 23rd, 24th and 25th of February okay. next year. Similar time to this year. Yeah, yeah that's right. Yep. will be when that first tournament, there's no dates for 25 or 26. Yeah. So that's a three-year contract that we'll have and hopefully the weather uh, will be good. Exciting
0: news and well done to all involved. Notice here, Matt, uh, that during the week there was an extraordinary meeting of council. I do love the way the word extraordinary comes in, because obviously this is a a meeting outside the normal, regular, once a month sort of time that council gets together. Um, Now, there was a particular point of focus in regards to this, and it seems to be in regards to the final decision on the pool management. So we talked briefly about this on last week's podcast. So let's, uh, without stealing your thunder, now's the chance to let us know who has secured the contract for the pool.
1: Well, I'll answer your first point first. Okay. The normal meetings of council are called ordinary council meetings. Ordinary. Ordinary. Which I always found interesting because- Just had another ordinary meeting first. That's right. And I don't know any council meeting meeting that's ordinary. They always (laughs) seem to be interesting, different. There's always interesting topics of debate. Mm, mm. But- if you look at the Local Government Act, and I know it sounds a bit boring, mm. I do quote the Act a fair bit mm. when they I talk about the things. There's a different
0: adjective for that one, I think.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. But they say that a council must hold a minimum of 10 ordinary council meetings a year, mm. and those dates are set forward. So you, you actually announce those dates at some mm. forward, like, you plan those dates for the year in advance, mm. if you like. So we normally plan on one each month, except January. So we have 11, which is obviously more than 10, minimum yeah. is 10, and that's yep. fine. If for some reason you need to have an extra meeting, yes. then that becomes an extra. Oh, so it's an extraordinary.
0: Extra ordinary. So it's not extraordinary, well, it's just an extraordinary meeting.
1: I normally say extraordinary, <laughs> but but yes, it is an additional ordinary meeting. an additional, it's an additional meeting. meeting
0: to the ordinary meetings we have. That's right. It's extra.
1: And normally when you have an extraordinary meeting of council, mm. it is done for a specific purpose. Mm. It could be a rescission motion, it could be a decision you need to have done quickly, but it's normally something. In particular. In this particular example, it was on the last day of the financial year on Friday the thirtieth. Yeah. It was at high noon.
0: Hey. Midday. Very sort of John Wayne of you. It does sound a bit like that. Yes.
1: And this was to make the final decision on the swimming pool contract. Mm. We first of all had to make a decision on whether to stay internal as it has been or to go external. Now, Dubbo City Council- This was made a while ago,
0: though, wasn't it, this decision? No, no, not the final decision. The
1: recommendation, the direction was given, but we had to make the final decision. Right. Many years ago, it used to be external. After the amalgamation, it was brought internal, and I'm talking about Dubbo's pool Mm -hmm. here, and now the decision was being made. We've got proposals that we requested out there. They've come in. We've got numbers. We've got prices. We know internally- What's it cost us? How much do we think it'll cost us in the future yeah. and how much external so, versus so internal? The, the
0: decision sort of going back on that one then very quickly then. Was that based then on a financial situation, feeling as though going external is going to be a better financial result for council?
1: It's hard for me to say why each individual councillor voted the way they did. Mm. So I don't want to put ideas or thoughts on top of each councillor. Mm. But certainly the overriding decision from my perspective was really about financial. Mm. Pools cost money. Every council across the state struggles with the fact that they, anyone that provides a pool, there's a cost to the community providing that pool. No one's been able to come up with a magic formula where the pools are money-making ventures. Mm. So they are a service to the community. But you want to minimise the cost of mm. that. Mm. So we went out and said, first of all, internal, external, make that decision. So councillors made that decision to go external. Then we had a number of proposals about the different companies that were offering to provide that service to council. So we went through that and the real interesting part was, and and this was all considered in a confidential meeting of council, but the interesting part was it's public knowledge. We have employed staff. Mm -hmm. You've got staff that are employed, engaged as running the pool. And then if we go external, we don't need those staff anymore. And certainly there are concerns that you hold because You can offer those staff other jobs within council, try and retain them.
0: Those staff could still apply for a job, I'm sure, through the the new operation though, couldn't
1: they? An external contractor, they could go and apply for those. But the interesting part there is that when they're employed by council, all of our business units employ staff under the local government award. Right. The local government award is not great for a pool that's open seven days a week, mm. not great for a pool that might open early in the morning. Mm. So it's not flexible. Whereas mm. there is a different award that applies to those people. But again, because they're local government employees, so possibly if those staff apply for the same jobs with an external contractor, they may be paid less. Right. So there are people in the community and councillors that are concerned about the fact that these staff might not have a job anymore, mm. these staff might have a different job within council, or these staff may be paid less due to the same about a lot job. Of people
0: here? Like how many people we're we talking?
1: You're talking about at the moment, there are six people okay. full-time employed in council. And one of the tricky parts, of course, is the pool's only open for a certain time of the year. Mm. What do you do with those staff for the other times mm. of the year when mm. they're not needed to run the pool? Yes. And we'd rather that be a contractor's problem rather yeah, than that's right. a staff problem. Now, go back to my, to my favourite document, the Local Government Act. Oh, yes, yes. And if you look at Section 8A, it gives you guiding principles for councils. Right. And if you look at Number 1B in that, it said that councils – should carry out functions in a way that provides the best possible value for residents and ratepayers. It doesn't say do the thing that means your staff get paid the most. Mm. So, if you follow the Local Government Act, if we have a decision to make that says we can keep our staff being paid more under the Local Government Award or have a cheaper facility for the ratepayers then if you follow 8A, number 1B of the Local Government Act, we've got no choice.
0: That becomes the overriding rule.
1: It does. We have to make the decision that's best for the ratepayers. Now, mm. having said that, mm. I'm not saying that we're trying to no, cut and I'm sure there's
0: a fair bit of interest still within the employees of the situation as well in regards yeah. to making sure you're looking after those guys best you can too.
1: Yeah, we've got a, a moral yeah, absolutely. process there that we've still got to deliver on that and we've got a legal process as well yep. in terms yep. of award wages. And if you
0: don't, you won't have staff.
1: Exactly right. We won't have staff if we don't make sure we're still trying to look after staff. But in Mm. this decision, if it comes down to – and again, I can only talk about my decision-making process – if it comes down to I can keep six staff with higher wages but cost the community millions of dollars extra Mm. for running a facility, Mm. I don't really have a decision to make. I've got to make the decision that's best for the overall community. Mm. So when it came down to it, the company that won the contract – was a company called Belgravia Leisure.
0: Okay, so talk me through it. Who are these guys?
1: Well, they've they got a lot of pools. They've got about 160 swimming pools or aquatic leisure centre type environments, not just the pool because there's other parts associated with it.
0: Yep.
1: About 160 across Australia and New Zealand. Okay. Interestingly enough, they've got ones nearby. They've got the Bathurst pool. They've got the Parks pool. Oh, okay. And we actually had some discussions with some of the people from those organisations just yep. to see how their experience was. Yep. So they won that tender, for $1.487336 million in the first year of that contract. It's a five-year contract with two one-year extensions possible. So
0: I suppose the next question is, how much would the pool normally cost from the point of view of running costs uh, for council, say, in the last financial year?
1: So if you look at it slightly differently, if you looked at, for example, the projections for the next five years Mm. on internal versus external, Mm. the cost difference based on the last few years is probably in the vicinity of 2.7 million dollars cheaper going external
0: okay over the 5 year period over the 5 year period so you're looking at about 500,000 dollars 550 thereabouts round per numbers year. yeah okay. that's so right. a significant figure
1: it's significant and that's money we can put into potholes yeah. or put into some of the function of council so yeah. it was in my mind it was a no-brainer and yeah. you might say well here's a price from an external contractor. Yeah. Surely we can deliver it at that same price internally. But the problem we have is that straight away we're going to be paying higher wages. Mm. The second part is when you're running a, a business within council, mm. you've got less flexibility. If we want to change the operation of that, the price of that, anything we want to change, we've got to go through a council resolution. Mm. So you, you're running it and you're a little bit hamstrung. So mm. the business operator that's running it, can you well, run it all in this way? But by the way, make sure we get a council resolution for any changes you want to make. Yeah. Yeah. So well, I suppose,
0: look, based on that then, uh, the next most obvious question is, uh, with these, the new operators, Belgravia coming in, uh, can they set the pricing of the pool for the admission costs? Like, do they get all you know, autonomy over that or is that something council still has control over?
1: We discussed that at length because these are some really important things and certainly some of the groups that use the pools, we're talking about swim clubs, that type yeah. of thing, they wanted to have an idea that there was still some control at council. So yeah. in the contract, we'll have certain things that'll be our responsibility, certain things that'll be Belgravia's responsibility. Okay. So, so what are some of those? The length of the season, for example, oh, yes, that's we important. set that. Now, that's a minimum length. If they want to go longer than that, then that's fine. Okay. Well, can, that's good to know then if you're
0: that. a swimming club sort of thing, knowing when Correct. it's going to operate. So that, that's going to change at this point in time.
1: Well, we, council would set that. If it was going to change, we'd set that. Right, okay. And the important part there is that I'm sure for an external contractor, the shoulders of the season – are not that profitable. Mm, but mm. we set that. We say, here are the minimum parameters. You've got to be open at least this time frame. Okay. Open longer if you like, knock yourself out. Yep. The actual opening hours, so mm. how many hours a day, again, mm. this some times of the day, I'm sure that it's not that profitable, but you've got minimum opening hours. you can okay. open longer than that, but yep. you're going to have minimum opening hours for that. Yep. But then internally, for example, the kiosk or canteen, I'm not sure why it's always called a kiosk or pool.
0: Yeah, I don't really know. <laughs> I have no idea. Call Could it, be but a question like, we can look up for next week. That's there right.
1: Kiosk or canteen, they can set the opening hours for that. So okay. So if they don't want yeah. to open first thing in the morning with the curls, that's fine. That's up to them. Yep. The same with the water slide in Dubbo, for example. Any extra facilities that are in the pool, mm. like the water slide, they can set the opening hours for that. Mm. So that's something separate. And then when it comes to pricing, admission fee, then we'll set that. Now, sure, we'd have discussion with Belgravia in that process, mm. but some people were concerned that it's going to double, or Belgravia is going to come in and try and profiteer out of it, mm. or they could pitch to council to please put the prices up but the community can pitch to council to put the prices down mm. so ultimately council through a council resolution will set those prices okay. and other fees associated with that, lanes for a swimming club, that type of thing, they'll be set by council yep. but things like the prices in the kiosk how much you pay for a can of soft drink? Mm. They'll set that. Bill Gravel so will set that. that. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Yep. We don't want them having to come back to council and say we want to charge an extra ten cents for a pack of lollies. Yeah,
0: yeah. They're very much operational the stuff. They can sort that's out. That's right.
1: Yeah. Same with the, sl- the slide or any any other things they introduce in there. Yeah. They can pay for those. Yep. When it comes to maintenance, for normal operational maintenance, mm. for day to day maintenance that's part of their contract. Yep. They have to cover those. Yep. If it comes down to major capital works or asset maintenance, and asset maintenance is typically things that are going to cost more than $2,000.
0: Oh, so anything over $2,000 of maintenance costs? Yep. That'll be council responsibility. Yep. So yep.
1: if there's a leak in the swimming pool, yep. that'll be council to fix up. Yep. But the chemicals for treating the water on a day-to-day basis, that'll be well mm. gravier to mm. go through that process. So the contract, I mean, that's a summary of a huge contract, yep. but that gives you some idea, and I hope just settles the fears of anyone, allays the fears of anyone that's concerned that they're going to come in and take over and council's going to lose all say. Now, Mm. if it gets drastic, there are contract reviews. And this was a a one-hour meeting we had. It wasn't Mm -hmm. quite. It was was 52 minutes, I think, the council meeting went for. With this one item on the agenda, so you can imagine in yeah, that lots of confidential meeting yeah, yeah. there was a lot of discussion about a range of things. But the review process is there as well, so that if something happens, certainly there's a process where council can go back and have a discussion with Belgravia about things that are not working or things that need to be improved. So
0: you're locked in here. So Belgravia here is locked in for five years. Yes. <clears throat> so in regards to that, um, how many other people applied from the point of view of uh, with their uh, for a tender? Is it, is it, can you release figures on that or no? Okay. So, so the, the papers <laughs> the papers that
1: go to counsellors are confidential. Right. So I can talk about the outcomes like we've talked about. Yep. So some of those outcomes and some of the generic discussion, but I can't talk about the information within those confidential papers. Right. Yeah.
0: I suppose the other question would be um, in regards obviously there's a financial factor in regards to it and this sounds like it's gonna save council about five hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year. I suppose the other consideration is uh, you're talking here about three pools. You're talking here about Wellington, Geary and Dubbo. Mm. Can you talk about then in regards to some of the people who have applied for the tenders? Did, did, did some just apply for Dubbo and, and is that part of the reason why maybe they didn't get the contract because you're looking – because I know last week you talked about the fact you didn't have anyone just apply for Geary and Wellington. Is, is that part of the reasoning too behind getting Bill Gravier in?
1: So, I, again, I can't talk about the individual applications, individual tenders. as yeah. part of that confidential process. And tenderers know that. When they put in a tender, they know it's all going to be confidential. It's all going to be considered by council in a confidential session. And they know the winner and the price for that winner will be public because mm. that's only fair and reasonable to the community. Yeah. And then you've got to have trust in your councillors that there wasn't a price. that was half that price that we just said, no, nah, we don't like Billy. Mm. He, he's got his hair cut in a different way. Mm. So we're trying to deliver the best value for for the community. There, there were a range of tenders that came in, I can say that, that's not getting specific, and yeah. in those range of tenders, there were tenders that came in for all three pools, there were tenders that came in for Dubbo, but we didn't have individual tenders for Wellington and or Geary, so it did make it harder when we we're going through that process to award it to someone that might have had just Dubbo, it would mm. then mean you'd have... An external contract mm. of one part, an internal contract for the other two. Then, for the other part. So that yep. made it difficult. Again, that could have happened. So everything was on the table. Mm. That could have been an outcome. But again, councils or councilors decided to go for one that could provide service for all three, which mm. was Belgravia. Okay. Have I been obscure enough there? So no, that? no, I
0: think you've answered the question well. <laughs> Oh, this is a little interesting little one here. The uh, the new Dubbo Bridge. Now, this has been going on for a while now. Um this is the the big new bridge that's sitting out there uh, on the north edge of town. So um, well, what's happening here, Matt, in regards it? It's been pretty quiet. I haven't heard much about it for a while. So uh, apparently during the week something happened there. So well, tell me what happened.
1: We had a meeting with Transport for New South Wales and okay. it was called the River Street Bridge for some time because it connects to River Street. Mm-hmm. But then I see the signs up now. And again, this is not a council project, mm-hmm. so we're not intimately involved in it. But we see the signs up now that says New Dubbo Bridge. Mm. Is and that going to be the title? Is that- <laughs> well, that's an interesting question. And, and <laughs> driving again, driving past, this, the new
0: I, Dubbo Bridge. I made it is. the bro-
1: joke before that we're not great at naming oh, yes. things. I mean, Surely a couple Sydney a bit more creative than that. Well, think about Sydney. In Sydney, they put up a bridge that went across the harbour, mm. and I'm sure they had a focus group and <laughs> yes. committees and all sorts oh, of discussion, you know, and <laughs> <laughs> they came up with a name that said Sydney. Harbour Arbour Bridge. bridge. <laughs> mm. Happy days. <laughs> <laughs> so we seem to name things fairly obviously here in this country. Yes. But New Dubbo Bridge, I think is fine mm. for a certain amount of time until mm. the next bridge comes along, and then you'd have to mm. name that one the, the New Dubbo Bridge or the newer <laughs> and the one that's not quite as new Dubbo Bridge or yeah, the slightly right. older yeah, Dubbo yeah. Bridge. That's it. I don't think they're going out of that path. But before we get to there, just a quick update, mm. and this is what Transport for New South Wales were doing. They gave us an update on where things are at. Mm. Most people in Dubbo are familiar with the fact that there's some piles being driven into the ground. Well, at if the you didn't know, you'd probably hear it if you're over on that That's north side anyway. Saying, I suggest. You can hear it everywhere. Well, it's just man, the north side. Man. You can hear it everywhere. Absolutely. 89 piles they're driving into the ground. Wow. 60 metres up to 80 metres deep, some of those piles are going. So, wow. long way down. They're not
0: going to fall over very quickly, are they?
1: They're not. And the process is, as people have heard, is just mm. a, basically a physical process yeah. of just bang, 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 bang. <laughs> Whacking it down oh, into the ground, geez. so they're doing that. They've done twenty so far. Mm. They've got eight that are partially driven, okay. and so they've got somewhere to go to get to eighty nine. Yep. We will hear that lovely sound around the community until November, approximately. Oh, happy days. Mm. So go. that'll keep going for all those not
0: about residents in particular. We're sorry.
1: That's right. But it's it's further than that. You can hear it across a whole range of different Yeah, you can. So you've got that. You've also got Radry Park, which is the park just as you go up Thompson Street on the right-hand side, if you're going west up Thompson Street. And so that's closed now officially. So they officially closed it off now? Only until they finish it then they'll reopen it. They're doing some consultation because, again, that's a project that they will enhance and they'll beautify. So they'll Mm -hmm. come up with a new Radry Park there, which I think is fantastic. So Mm -hmm. they'll go through that process. Yeah. The name, though, the name is interesting. Mm. So Transport New South Wales met with us and had some discussions about some consultations and processes and bring it back to council. Yep. And, of course, the first question we had was, who is the actual consent authority mm. for the naming of a bridge? Mm. Now, if it's a Fair name uh, of a street, we've got uh, a thing called a Geographical Names Ad Hoc Committee.
0: Right.
1: And if you're a developer and you are developing in your state, you come up with some names for streets in that state, You submit that to the Geo Names Committee, which is right. a council committee, yep. and then you get permission or gets authorised to say, yes, we approve those names, or mm. no, there's another name that's the same, or mm. no, that's not appropriate, whatever. Yep. But council is the consent authority yep. for that process, and then they approve. Or Town,
0: it makes sense. Yeah, that's yeah, right.
1: Absolutely. They approve the application from yep. a developer. The bridge is different. Okay. I don't know. Whose responsibility? Right. Transport for New well, South it's Wales doesn't know. <laughs> so, so
0: nobody really knows who well, has a responsibility for this. There
1: were some assumptions made, but okay. it's a bit tricky because when you've got a freeway, mm-hmm. the rules around naming a freeway are different to around naming a highway. Bridges oh. on a highway are different to a bridge that might be on a road or a walkway. So, for oh. example, we've got bridges on Tracker Riley. Yeah. They're our responsibility to name. We name those. They're totally our responsibility. Mm. If it was a bridge on a local road, then we would name that. But this one's a bit trickier. Mm. So before we went any further with the consultation process, we all said, let's just pause here. We've got to find out whose job it is. Who finally says, yes, we approve that name. Once we find that out, then we'll go down the path of saying, What did New
0: South Wales Transport say?
1: Well, they don't know either. <laughs> they had an assumption of what they thought it might be. Let's
0: get a committee together for this one.
1: <laughs> so, that's, that's an interesting okay. one. So, we'll work that out yep. and work out whose job it is. And then there'll be some consultation in the community. I don't think we'll end up with a Boaty McBoat face like the online poll over in the UK a few years ago. I remember that one. Or a Ferry McFerry face, I think it was, with the Sydney Ferry Naming Competition. I assume it will be a little more thorough yes. process mm. than what happened in the UK, but there'll be some process that'll happen. But first of all, we've got to find out. Transport municipalities are going mm. to do their research, council will do our research, okay. and then come back and say, Here's where the responsibility is. Let's go forward from there. Uh, it sounds
0: like one of those watch this space moments. I think it so is. It, it, is there a time frame though in regards to what they think this when the yeah, the bridge will be finished? Is there any idea at this stage?
1: A good question. I didn't actually get in that particular consultation. I didn't actually get that, but I'm sure from previous times there was discussion around. 2025, 2026. Okay, so we're
0: still a way off yet from driving a car over it. Probably
1: isn't desperate in need desperate in need of a name yet, is No, it? that's right. No. So they do have some time there too. That's right. To the other part that was interesting from that is road reclassifications. Oh. We've got state roads. Yeah. We've got regional roads. We've got local roads. Yep. We always prefer roads to be state roads because the state government's the responsible. That's yeah. right. Regional roads, it's a shared responsibility. We've got to do the work, but the state mm. government might give us some money. Local, all ours. yeah one of the parts that's interesting is at the moment when you come in from Gilgandra on the Newell Highway, mm-hmm. you go all the way down Burke Street, you yep. turn right at the ho- the lights on the yep. intersection there, yep. and you turn right there and keep going across Cericia, that's yep. all the Newell Highway. When the new bridge is done, the new highway will actually go when you're driving along from West Dubbo, mm-hmm. uh, you go to the lights of Victoria Street and keep going there, and then mm-hmm. you'll go onto the new bridge, the new Dubbo bridge. New Dubbo the bridge. Let's, be, get, let's get the name right. And yep. you'll follow that along. That will become the new highway. Oh,
0: so what's and, what's happening to the old part of the road?
1: Well, let's get there. So yeah. that'll be the new highway. you yeah, turn yes. up across the bridge and onto River Street and turn left out Burke Street. That yeah. will become the new highway. Yeah. At the moment, the Golden Highway, when it comes down Erskine oh, yes, Street, yes. stops at the traffic lights at Burke Street. Right. Because it then becomes a Newell Highway.
0: Yep. yep. This is the road to Newcastle and coming in all the way through.
1: Yep. Correct. Golden Highway will now extend down to Sericia Bridge right. until it turns into Newell Highway there. Okay. Then there's a little section of road that's between Erskine Street and River Street along Burke Street. Yes. That's currently the Newell Highway. Yep. And won't be the Newell Highway because the Newell Highway will turn off down the bridge. So Transport from New South Wales said, we'd like to reclassify that road. Mm. And it's a highway or a state highway or state road at the moment. We'd like to reclassify that back so council can look after it. Oh,
0: so so we'll revert the cost back to you. <laughs>
1: I think that was basically yeah. what they were That's saying. That's
0: pretty much how it works, isn't it, really? Yes. And,
1: and I actually said, well... I don't want it, thanks. We'd like the state to keep it. We're happy the way it is. And they said, oh, we'll we'll do a reclassification. That'll be gazetted. And I said, what about if we say no? Mm. Oh, we don't know, but we just expect you to say yes. Well, I don't want to say yes. I want you to keep it, (laughs) thanks very much. Now, again, we can't really tell the state government what to do. I'd love to say no to that section of Mm. road because I'd love the state government to keep it. But I dare say what will happen is they'll say, we're going to reclassify this and we'll just say Okay, mm. I don't know what would happen if we said no, but mm-hmm. I dare say, they'd say, well, this is a state government process because they talked about Gazettel and a gazettal is a process that happens with the state government. Right. So we'll Gazette that road right anyway, regardless of what council says. And oh. I think they're just being nice to council to say, we're going to tell you about it and that's do it. But if you say no, well, we're going to do it anyway.
0: I like the idea of challenging them though. on this one, I think that's very good actually. That'd be nice. It'd be it's good. a bit like
1: when you say to your kids, could you please do the washing up? And they say, well, do I have to? You said, well, yes. Well, why would you ask me then? Well, I was just being polite. (laughs) But if you said no, I'm going to tell you to do it anyway. That's
0: right. I'll tell you a bit firmer next time. That's right. And
1: I get the feeling it's a bit like that with State Government. We're going to ask you to Mm. reclassify this road and see if you're okay with it. If you say no, we're going to do it anyway. Yeah, that's
0: right. Now, speaking of uh, updates in regards to things and uh, areas we haven't sort of spoken about for a while, the Wiradjuri Cultural Tourism Project. Now, this is going to be a massive project up there in East Dubbo near the mall there, isn't it? The park area near the mall. Um, we haven't sort of said much about it. So there's it, it, something happening here. Are we we starting to move forward a bit more here with this, Matt? What's going on?
1: Can we skip this topic and go to the next one? Uh,
0: it's one of those ones, <laughs> is it? All right.
1: It's a, It's a tough one. Mm. I think this project will be... Absolutely fantastic. Now, this started way back in 2018. There was some amalgamation money on the table. So council was given approximately $5 million to do something. Wow,
0: that's pretty good money.
1: That's right. And Mm. they started off with some plans, some basic plans. And then there were some architects brought in. And sometimes architects don't always look at the budget. They look at what it could be and so they did lots of consultation and I think this has been a really good process with consultation I think there's been extensive consultation Mm. done with the Aboriginal community to try and deliver something that will be an outstanding Mm. attraction for Dubbo an outstanding area for a cultural place for Aboriginal people in Dubbo so fantastic Mm. the architects were paid in my mind an incredible sum of money $800,000 or thereabouts the architects were paid for what we had of $5 million Wow! now again that was back in the last council, uh, we came along and where's this project up to? Well, to build what people want in the consultation process, it's going to mm. cost a lot more than $5 million. So the new council put in for some additional money from the state so, government so, at the time. So,
0: so the architects who paid $800,000 basically came back and said, You're going to need more money.
1: Well, the yeah. problem I have with architects sometimes is they don't always design to a budget, they design mm. to a concept. Yeah. And so it would be fair to say that their concepts were coming in. That there was no way it could be built for $5 million. Mm. So they started to bring in a whole range of extra features mm. in this. And so we thought, well, that'd be nice to do that. We went back to a different government department, a different area of government. This one was, well, we were successful with another $5 million.
0: So we're up to $10 million now for this project.
1: From state government. Fantastic. And wow. we'd like to build it for $10 million. Yep. Because we don't want to. Surely, you can build for ten million dollars. It's a lot of money, isn't it? It's a lot of money, and you can build a fair bit with ten million dollars. And
0: this all started back in two thousand eighteen. So this is two thousand twenty three. We're talking five years here.
1: That's right. And now here we are. We don't seem to have gone out to tender for a builder yet. Yeah. We don't. Do we have a seem... final design yet? We've got pretty much yeah. We've pretty much got a final design from the architects. The problem is, when we've had some QS done on that design in terms mm-hmm. of approximate costings it's coming in significantly more than $10 million. Mm. So we've got to work out from that whether or not we try and cut the design down, Mm. which would be logically what I do normally. If I've got $10 million to spend, well, I've got $10 million to spend. The problem is that the government grants that we've got, they've loved the idea, they've loved the concept, they don't want to compromise on that concept. If we start cutting down the plans, we might lose some of the government funding. Mm. So do we then go and say, well, we'll just have to come up with the money borrow money if we need to Mm. to build that are there other ways we can make it cheaper are there other funding sources but the funding sources we've got have got deadlines on them Mm. so if you Mm. take too long to get around to it well that funding might disappear and we've seen some projects from in particular the federal government they've got some money out there for Aboriginal projects Mm. but typically when it's a council putting in for those projects they'll only go 50-50 so we could lose the 10 million in funding and then go and get some other funding but then we might only get 50% if you're a Another organisation, like an Aboriginal organisation, you can sometimes get 90% of the funding for the project. But even, let's say it was a $10 million project, Mm. you've still got to have an Aboriginal organisation. That's right, this comes up with a million and the government comes up with $9 million. Mm. So there's a few hairs on this one at the moment. Mm. We had uh, an extensive discussion at a workshop about this to try and get some direction. There will be a council meeting, maybe July, maybe August, where this information will come back to council to be considered publicly. Again, as you well know from our previous discussions, Mm. decisions aren't made at workshops. No. Information's there. Councillors can think about that, have discussions in the community, et cetera. And I've got a personal view on this, but my personal view won't matter once a council resolution happens. My personal view is that we need to build this. This this can be an incredibly important facility for Dubbo. And I, I think I'm... And I don't know which one's more important, but I think there's two really important parts of this. Culturally, I think this can be fantastic for Aboriginal people in Dubbo and the region. Mm. But from a tourism attraction, it gives us another tourism Absolutely. attraction that will bring people to Dubbo and, and learn oh, about Aboriginal culture. We've
0: also talked about this too. Like you look around the state, and you think how many there's not many places Correct. around that could match anything near this. Yeah, and that's the whole
1: point. And that was one of the points that I made at our workshop. If something's hard to do, mm. sometimes people say it's too hard to do. Let's give up. If something's hard to do and you do it, that's fantastic because it means other people haven't done it. So in terms of what we could offer culturally and from a tourism product, then if it's hard to do for other areas, Mm -hmm. then us doing it Mm. would mean that we would stand out. Mm. So I'm personally very keen to see this go ahead. Again, I'm also cognizant of the fact that we've got a budget and we've got rate payers money we're dealing with here. How do we marry all that up? (coughs) I don't know the answer to this one. At well, this stage.
0: Is, is there a real possibility here, Matt, too, that with this ten million dollars in funding from state government funding, is there a time frame on this? Because in my experience, there's generally always time frames in regards to uh, state government funding. So is there a potential time frame where they could turn around and say, Look, guys, you've had now five years, you haven't used anything apart from simply pay for the eight hundred thousand dollars for the architect. Um, we're gonna pull the funding.
1: You're absolutely spot on. And the two different pools have got two different deadlines on them. Mm. And we've gone back to both funding bodies and said, here are the issues we've had. And to be fair, building prices have gone up. The cost of building has gone up as well. Here are the problems we've got. Here are the issues we're facing. Can we have a a deadline extension? One of them said, yes. And Mm. here's your extension deadline, absolute deadline. The other one said, well, you kind of already passed it. Mm. So you really need to get cracking. Otherwise, forget about that money. So you're right. Time is of the essence. Meanwhile, going over budget yeah. is a problem. So it's a it's a problem, and I don't know the answer to it yet. It, it,
0: is the hold-up also the fact that you've just got people with different opinions on this? Is this part of the problem too? You just can't get everybody to agree with the one idea?
1: One of the things that does happen when you do extensive consultation is it's fantastic because you get lots of different views, but sometimes people think that their view is the one you should follow. Mm. So if you go and do a consultation with one person and then you follow what they said, that's easy. Mm. If you do a consultation with 10 people then when you deliver a final project, not any one of those 10 is probably mm. going to have everything in there that mm. they said, well, well, I said to do A, B, and C. You've only done A and B. What about mm, C? Yeah. But the problem is the next person you talk to said do D, E, and F. And so that C and D yeah. might have been well, contradictory. It certainly
0: sounds like unless they're prepared to get to a compromised position, we could lose this.
1: We could lose it. And one of the things that you've got to be careful of is that you don't like to walk away from a grant. No. But at the same time, you don't want to spend a grant – just because it's there yeah. and not have good business scenarios or a good business case around the money for that grant. Mm. And one of the things that I'm always aware of is that whenever you're looking at grants, whenever you're looking at extra money, you want to make sure you've got the business case first. It doesn't have to be refined to the nth degree, but at least have the overall business case. And I think mm. in this scenario, there was some money on the table from the amalgamation. Oh, good. Let's go and build this. $5 million. Oh, fantastic. But mm. I don't know that the project was developed first mm. how much money did you need for this project we don't know but there was five million there Yeah, yeah. I think you need to make sure you've always got that business case mm. developed first before you go out looking for that funding mm. so hence I didn't want to answer the question because, <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's not a great answer I've got I, I don't have no. a really good answer for this one because it is a complicated project that mm. I'd love to see get up but I'm also aware of the cost of the community and the cost of ratepayers but I don't want to walk away from it no. so it's, it's no, a really it's, tough, it's a tough one, one. yeah
0: something's not so tough i'd suggest the fact that um uh, well this weekend uh, being held is the grade five state pennant bowls finals here in dubbo we're talking here about 500 visitors here in town so welcome all those visitors uh, how good's this this sort of feeding on from a little bit from the touch football idea before and here we are here in dubbo getting these great events here's another one
1: here's another one and you're right there are lots of different events and i actually think Club Dubbo in particular, but our three bowls clubs Mm. in Dubbo do a really good job. But Club Dubbo, I think Tony Spears, who's the chairman over there, has done a really good job to actually lift the probably the standard there, but also lift the awareness in the broader bowls community, Mm. not just Dubbo. Mm. They hosted the richest bowls tournament for fours in the world. Wow. They came up with a concept where they said, we're just going to go and put this on the yeah. table and we're going to attract people all over the world and yeah. show that we can host this type of event. Yeah. And they did that. Yeah. And I think it would be fair to say that Bowles New South Wales sat up and went, wow, yeah.
0: this Look is pretty serious. Yeah.
1: And people came from all over the world and played in that tournament. Yeah. And they're doing that again this year. So September this year, oh, they're wow. hosting again. The $125,000 prize money. Yep. Four, as in four in a team, fours can enter yep. that event. Yep. It's obviously just an open event. Mm. And so you get some really high standard bowls, but also you get lots of spectators that come yeah. along, and it's obviously worth it for that club. Yep. Something like this, state pennant bowls, doesn't have that kind of prize money, but there are different zones yep. across the state, and those zones all play and have winners of those zones, and then all those zones play yep. to have the state pennant finals. And so yep. that's what we're playing right now. And again, this is grade five, so there's different grades that actually play in this particular process. 500 visitors, hmm. they estimate, are here. And one of the good things about bowls visitors is they're typically a little bit older, not all of them, there's no, some young no, players no. there, but most of them, I went along and, and did the Welcome to Dubbo there, and yeah. most of them are a little bit older, Yeah, maybe retired. Bit more time in to their to hand. That. More bit time. More time to so
0: hang around and do the touristy things and go to the coffee shops and the restaurants and, and a, bit a more, more disposable income possibly as that's well. That's right, a
1: few more dollars in their pocket. Absolutely. And their local clubs in each of these scenarios has probably paid for their accommodation, mm. most of the clubs, because it's a big thing. If yeah, you can right. win a state pennant final, you have a flag that flies at your club forevermore. Yeah, wow. So you probably have the club encouraging the players, and so yeah, they yeah. probably pay for them to be here. So then they've got more disposable income. They haven't even yeah. paid for their motel. No, no. So great from that perspective. They'll work in, Club Dubbo and the Macquarie Club will share the hosting of the final, yeah. of, of the whole tournament itself. The finals themselves will be played at Club Dubbo, so they host the the premier finals events there on Sunday. But again, it is an example of a couple of clubs working together. We know for bowls, New South Wales State Championships next year, there'll be three clubs working together, but this one's two clubs working together. Mm. But again, just a really good atmosphere Ah, there. Absolutely. And it is grade five. That means it's not grade one. No. I think it normally goes to about grade seven or grade eight.
0: So I've got a feeling there's a fair bit of socialising probably within the grade five groups.
1: These people would be serious, but not deadly serious. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> Pretty sure there's opportunities for maybe a few more drinks and not so off to bed at eight o'clock if you're probably in the top penance.
1: And I did joke with them to say that I have heard that grade five is known as thirsty fives and <laughs> there was a bit of recognition in the audience that that was the case. I'm not encouraging drinking to excess, of course. No, but, but go I think and have you're some right. fun
0: though, guys. Enjoy, I, enjoy yourself in Dubbo.
1: I think they're enjoying themselves and I think, again, there'll be a good injection in our economy and well done to... To Club Dubbo in particular, but also Club Dubbo Macquarie Club yes. for being part of that. And again, showing off what we can do. So think about it. You've got that tournament. You've got September with the richest fours tournament wow. in the world. And then next year, approximately March, yes, you'll have the, big one. the state championship. So
0: wow.
1: a bit of action in bowls in Dubbo. I might have to take it up soon. <laughs>
0: Now, Matt, head on right now, the fact that you turned up at uh, Dubbo South College campus site the other day there, and look as though you went across there and had a little bit of a chat to some Year 8 students. I talk me through this. Um, Problem-solving presentations.
1: I really, is, I really enjoy going out to the schools. You've talked to me before about some yeah. of the schools I've gone to and some of the things I've looked at. This process here was interesting. The teacher for this particular subject gave all the students, they had to create or come up with a problem Mm. and then solve that problem. They Mm. could do it in groups, they could do it individually, they could do it in groups of two or three or four Mm. and basically it was left up to their own creativity, imagination Mm. just to come up with a problem for a start Mm. but then how they would solve it and how they would present it. So it could have been a PowerPoint, could have been physical structures they could build to show, to demonstrate what it was, could have just been a a verbal presentation, whatever. So I never know what I'm going to get when I walk into some of these. What I did like First of all, was some mm. of the problems they came up with some okay, of the variety so tell me of through, problems?
0: What are some of the problems they addressed.
1: Well, there seemed to be a fair bit of discussion around mental health, right, and yes. bullying. So okay. these are obviously yeah. big issues there. there yeah, yeah, You saw some information around vaping. They saw some of the kids saw vaping oh, as a yes. problem and trying yes. to it reduce, a problem. Yeah, to reduce vaping. One of the ones was around rubbish. I did talk to them okay. about my solution, my April Fool's Day solution, oh, of yes. the DNA yes. testing. Yeah, <laughs> DNA testing, I like that one.
0: They didn't yes. come
1: up with that one. They did like the idea, <laughs> but, but they did see there were a few problems with that one. Uh, <laughs> certainly tourist attractions, building more mm. tourist attractions, mm. and even graffiti. They saw a bit of graffiti around. And okay. so they came up with some pretty good solutions. The graffiti yeah. one was quite good. They said they wanted to build a graffiti building or graffiti wall, they count with a location, they count with costing for this, where they'd basically just build four walls in essentially a building, no roof on it, and then you could just come along and do graffiti, and then once a year it was painted over, and then you just went and defeated it again. I did wonder with that, I did actually say to the the particular students that presented that to me, does it take away part of the excitement? Mm. When you're allowed to do when it, when the adults
0: it, say to you, "Can do it," that's right. It's part yeah. of the
1: excitement for someone that goes and tags something down I actually the main street.
0: Encourage you to do it. It's like it's even more of a reason why kids go, huh, "None if you encourage me." No, that's right.
1: So if I go down the main street and I, I tag yeah, my yeah. name somewhere, I'm not meant to do it, and I can show friends, "Look, there's my name mm, there." Mm. If it's something where you're encouraged to do it, I'm not sure if it would be quite as attractive. But I have seen it before. I've seen – there's a beach I was at, and I just can't remember where it was, but there was a beach where it had a graffiti wall along the beach. Yeah, there's a very
0: famous one over there in London as well, which is part of a skate park area there. There's an old old graffiti section there too. So
1: that was one interesting one. In terms of the vaping, I thought the vaping was an interesting one. Mm. The vaping – to try and reduce vaping, they wanted to come up with some vapes that had plain packaging because the packaging Mm. on vapes is very attractive and looks Mm. very pretty – the problem that they had with that was that they were coming up with a product that made it boring, mm. but there were going to be attractive ones next to it. They really needed to push it then to try and make it legislation mm. where you had to change all vaping products, like smoking has yes. got very unattractive pictures. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think they're on the right path. Yeah. They needed to get legislators on board for that sort of thing. Mm. Uh, tourist attraction, there was one there that was a tourist attraction that involved sharks. Sharks? Where you could, sharks and Dubbo. Sharks and Dubbo, okay. where you could have swimming with some sharks. You can yeah. have...
0: What, in the Macquarie sh- River or a particular spot they want to put the sharks
1: in? Somewhere like our Aquatic Leisure Centre. Oh, yeah. But adding some shark yeah. exhibits That'd to that. would certainly make me swim faster. <laughs> it? <laughs> it would, wouldn't it? At
0: <laughs> a uh, point of chasing me up the 50 metre pool.
1: They want to have some a petting area for sharks where you go and area. pat some sharks. Oh, so, okay. right but yeah. again, I think what they were recognising there was more tourist attractions mm. would be good for the yes. community. So a whole range of things. I said some mental health things, some anti-bullying, anti-bullying posters. Mm-hmm. I actually... I really enjoyed it. It was about two hours I sat there just to listen to all these presentations. I didn't have to grade them. Luckily, I would have hated to have been a teacher to say, right, (laughs) here are the marks I'm giving you for all these because they all had different attractions. I mean, the river, I mean, they just talked about some of the things in terms of looking after the health of the river and yeah. making sure we had better processes in place yeah. to look after that, using an app, for example, to report some of that, oh, good. similar to Snap, Send, Solve. So all these different presentations. Well, I'm loving the fact ideas.
0: there's a there's a real sense of community-mindedness about these kids too. Like You're talking 14-year-olds here, basically, so that's pretty impressive.
1: Well, I did think that. I thought mm. it's really interesting. The theme through here was really about making our community better, Mm. improving our community. So I I was actually quite impressed with it all but you really enjoyed it. And I suppose the message to any schools out there, if you've got these sort of presentations, I'm more than happy to come along. Schedule permitting, I mean this one was booked in probably two months ago, but schedule permitting, I'm more than happy to come along and I've I've done it with a range of schools, Mm. looked at various things. I've done simultaneous reading day, I've watch presentations mm. I've actually been involved with judging things and that's a bit scarier because you're, yep. you're going to have one happy group of students and yes. everyone else unhappy with you but, I don't like him anymore yeah that's right <laughs> uh, but again it's really enjoyable to get out there yeah. and, and hear what the future of tomorrow mm. or the future kids are going to be talking about today well, and I really find that interesting listen
0: to what you're saying there sounds like we are in pretty safe hands now speaking of which um, in regards to some of the things you've been out and about doing the fact you went out to the Greyhound track there uh, last weekend. So uh, you went there for the, referred um, to as refer the Mayor's Cup. The Mayor's yeah. Cup. So there's a bit of a uh, personal history here with you, with your own families in there, in regards to the Greyhounds in town.
1: It does go back, and I've tried to find out exactly when it started, and we just haven't been able to find it. The Greyhound Club hasn't been able to find it. Hmm. But my dad was the president of the Debo Graham Racing Club twice. He was a Mm. president for a number of years and then said, right, that's fine, I've done, I'll hand it over and hand it over. Mm. And the finances spiralled somewhat for a few years after that to the point where I think they were about to collapse. So he he stepped back in for a few years again and got it back up and running again and and then left it be. So they've got a a function room that's named after Dad up there, the Roy Dickerson Memorial Function Room. But Dad, and I think it was sometime in the early 80s, Started the mayor's cup. He thought it would be nice to have a prestigious event yeah. that had something been going all the way since then. Well, not quite. Okay, <laughs> it started <laughs> way back then, right? And I have found an old picture that had Tom Slattery when he was the oh, mayor. Okay, yes. standing there with my yes. father presenting the mayor's cup. That would have yeah. been sometime not in the eighties. 80s. 80s. Yeah. yeah, yeah, sometime yeah. around there, probably back when your mum was on council. Yeah, and so there was there, and it went along for a number of years. But when I became mayor last time back in 2011 with Dubbo City Council, mm. I actually I hadn't heard about it for a while. And so I contacted the Grand Club and said, is the Mayor's Cup still going? I don't remember the last mayors doing much with it, but but mm. the mayors do lots of things you mm. don't hear about. And they went, no, no, we'd love to revive it. It hasn't been going for a number of years. Yeah, right. They couldn't even find an old trophy with all the names of the winners yep, on there. Yep. So it was revived and it ran for a number of years. And amalgamation stopped so many things. So mm. it fell off again with mm. the amalgamation, started again, I think, towards the end of Amalgamation, but now it's been going last year and this year again. Yep. So, yep. again, presentation up there. We had uh, one other councillor come along for the presentation. Lovely. Had the, the winner who was very happy, obviously, winning the Mayor's Cup and now goes on to the new trophy with the yes. winner there and hopefully yes. it'll continue on for many years to come. Oh, so oh, great it's, to hear, buddy. It's got roughly a 40-odd year history, but not an unbroken history, yeah. unfortunately. <laughs>
0: Uh, now, speaking of uh, going through sort of archival sort of history there, you, you mentioned my mum there in regards to when she was on council and uh, an old uh, the Mayor, Tom Slattery. One of the things that you're uh, talking about here is that you met with the Western Plains Cultural Centre. Looked some from the archives to... Uh, this, I suggest here trying to get some of the old photos um, up here of some of the mayors again. Now, in, in so many places you go into and you, you see the history when you walk on a, walk into a place, see them on the walls there of uh, old councillors or old mayors or whatever the case may be. Now, we used to have... Pictures of old mayors set up there, heading into the council chambers in the past, didn't we? Am
1: I correct in saying that? I prefer to call them former mayors rather than uh, old mayors. Sorry,
0: so, to, to all those <laughs> like yourself who may one be an old one, I'll refer to you now as, a, but one day down the other track of former. <laughs> so the former mayors we used it, to, we used to, didn't we? So, yeah,
1: the,
0: so obviously. That They're not there right now? or
1: So after the amalgamation, for some reason, all those pictures, and they used to have pictures way back to 1872, the first mayor of wow. Dubbo Council So there was real was history gone. there. Yeah, that's there. right. James so Samuels Jr. was the first mayor. Yeah. And so they had all those pictures. And some of those, you can imagine, were not great pictures from some of those old ones. And there was a board that had a number of the pictures on mm. there. Thankfully, they weren't thrown in a dumpster. Right. They were put into the archives at the Western Plains Cultural well, Why were
0: they even taken down?
1: I don't know. wasn't my decision. Okay. It was after the amalgamation. That's all I know. Okay. But we've got new chambers, as we've talked about before, the traditional chambers upstairs are going to be changed, so they'll just be office space, and downstairs in the conference rooms Mm. are going to be converted twice a month for council meetings. Mm. And so that was an opportunity, I thought anyway, Mm. to say, well, to give this a little bit more of a feeling of gravitas, a little bit more of a feeling of the history there. Yes, we're not in the same physical area, but to add a bit of history, yeah. let's find those old pictures, those old photos of so mayors. So it's a plan put to put up.
0: them into the new room, the new chamber.
1: Exactly right, and not sure exactly where yet. It might be when you walk into the conference room, might be in the actual area where the council meeting would be. But the first thing was to go and look at some of those old pictures. Yeah. So there's one there that's got a photograph, believe it or not, right. of about the first five or six mayors we had. So that goes mm. back to say not. Long after 1872, because they're all still alive, maybe 1880, 1890, that photo was taken. So it had a a group of them sitting around. So that that looks nice. Then you've got a group that goes along probably up until around 1950 or thereabouts, which is something like an image of each mayor, but not literally a photograph. Mm. So Mm. it's a board with a number of these on there. But again, Mm. it's got all of those mayors there. And so that's nice to have there as well. And I remember Angus Taylor, who's in the federal government. Angus Taylor was in in Dubbo there a few years ago, and one of his relatives, maybe great-grandfather, used to be the mayor, so I remember taking him up into the council chambers and and showing him the old pictures there so he could see a bit of history from his family perspective. And so, again, that's nice. So we found these old old ones there, and then at some stage, someone decided to put some of the photos, more modern photos, Mm. in little groups of four or five mayors together. So From sometime after the 1950s, there you've got some of the ones there. Norm Cox, yes. uh, some of these ones there. I'm not sure if Les Ford was in one of those groups there, Would but have been s-
0: possibly the early 50s, maybe. Yeah. Yep. So you've
1: got groups of those there, yep. and right up to when we've got ones that are still alive now. So Greg Matthews, yes. Alan Smith, some of those ones in there as well. So the idea here is let's take some of that, yep. put up some of that history in there. Yep. And go right through so that you can look back and see the history, because these people have all been an important part of oh, it. Oh, absolutely. 40 mayors is all we've had in Dubbo. Right. Now, you've got Wellington, and so we thought we'll make sure that we'll keep the Wellington history in the Wellington chambers because yep. meetings are still held there. Yep. Probably the the main loser in all of this is Talbagar Shire because Shire, after the amalgamation in 1980, mm. we found one picture of Talbagar Shire councillors okay. from about 1908. That's it. But that was it. Yeah, okay. It didn't seem sensible to put up just one mm. snapshot. It would have been nice to have a bit more history. Mm. Mm. The other thing I want to do is get the groups of councillors and mm. have their images put up there. Mm. So essentially, we look for some of those. Now we've got recent groups. Mm. We'll do a photo of this group. We haven't done a proper photo of this group yet, but we've got groups that go back to about 1991. Each group of councillors. There seem yep. to be one or two missing there, but I'm sure we'll find those. But we don't have much before 1991. So unfortunately, so when your mum or your grandfather yeah. were on council, yes. we couldn't find those councillor group photos, which would be nice to find them. Oh, but, absolutely. But there didn't seem to be any of those. So... If we can't find them that far back, at least from 1991. Yep. And it's actually quite interesting, even seeing the way they dress. Yes. Just yes. seeing some of those names Ian Ray, Warren Mundine, yes. Tamer Grain. Yes. Just looking at some it's of some those. Some great names, people. amongst
0: marks there. And the thing is, it's acknowledging the achievements of uh, of what these people have done over the years to get Dubbo where it is today.
1: And that's my point. Absolutely yeah, right. It's, 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 everything it's, we do now is building on what's been built in the past. Standing
0: on the shoulders of giants. That's exactly what we do. Right.
1: Yep. So having those old photos in there, again, We'll start with the mayor's ones, and then we'll get a bit of continuity with some of those groups of councillors' photos, and we've got to get the current group of councillors all dressed up in our robes, because there's the the beautiful photo from the 2012-2016 council where Mm. we're all in our beautiful robes. There's some early ones where we're just dressed nicely, but not in our robes. The the robes one, you feel a bit funny putting on a robe, it's a a bit over the top, but I think for those photos, it actually looks quite nice. Yeah, a bit of formality to it. Yeah, a bit of uniform as such. So. That'll happen, and when people come into the chamber, it might not be ready for the first council meeting, but sometime soon we'll have a bit of that oh, history there. I
0: love the idea. Now, this is an interesting one there, Matt. I'm sort of uh, talking about uh, councillors doing things for the community. It seems as though there's a bit of a blood drive uh, that council's going to happen to uh, jump into this week, and particularly the councillors. So... How do we, is this something new that the councillors give uh, regular blood, or is this a this is a new initiative?
1: Well, it's interesting because I did send an email around to councillors and I said, when you stood for council, no one said you'd be asked to give blood. You <laughs> might have thought you know, you wasn't got, part of the prerequisite set down. It, it didn't seem to be, did it? Yeah, and, yeah. and so I did. I, I thought councillors might be a bit concerned that. I might have been talking about Loki and Odin mixing blood or something drastic (laughs) like that. But I said, no, let's just donate blood. Now, I've done it before to help promote things. I'm not a regular blood donor. So I've got to put my hand up there and say Mm. I'm I'm not regular. I'm irregular Mm. in my donations that I do. I've really done it, money, when it's been designed for promotion purposes Mm. to try and promote Mm. people to come along. So I'm guilty as charged there. But, we should doing something, though. Well, I suppose something there, but I probably yeah. should be a regular donor, and I know many people who are, and well done to them. Mm. The Dubbo Donor Centre ranks fifth out of the 21 donor centres in New South Wales, so oh, wow. that's on a per capita basis. Okay. Now, that's good, so that means our residents yeah, are doing quite doing well. Definitely doing a bit, and then some. And they did a little thing last year, which was a local government blood drive, where they mm. compared LGAs, right. and in that one, we ranked 35th nationally out of 537 councils, oh, wow. so we did yeah, okay. Man. But I thought it mightn't be a bad idea to really try and push it and see if we can push ourselves up the list there. At the moment, again, we do pretty well. 1,209 people in our LGA are regular donors.
0: Isn't that fantastic? And it's
1: estimated that of all our residents, 11,981 of those residents will need blood. In mm. their lifetime,
0: mm. so it's massive numbers. It is
1: it? is important. So we're doing this this week. We've got a few councillors that can make it mm. going along. We'll roll up our sleeve and give blood and basically promote that and say this is a promotion. It yep. starts on the first of July, goes through to the end of September, mm. to try and see how much blood we can yep. get from the community. Yep. Literally, yeah, <laughs> that's literally. right, yeah, exactly right, yeah. and uh, and then see how we rank in those overall rankings. Mm. But it's really just a bit of a a promotion councillors involved, we'll do a bit of media around it to try and really promote, uh, go along and give some Terrific,
0: blood. well done, great idea. Mm-hmm. Hey, your mayoral memo this week uh, it was an interesting. one. It's sort of, uh, I think, you made it very clear in regards to, you outlined your position between what is your, and you've already stated today, and this today's podcast, about how your personal position is one thing, but your position as a mayor when you make those public statements is something completely different. You have to be the person who supports what, the rest of the councillors state and point of view of an agreement on. So uh, talk me through just a couple of the logistics of this.
1: So you're the one who reads it. I knew someone read oh, it.
0: Did you see there was one person read that <laughs> exactly. That was me.
1: That's good. Thank you.
0: Doing my research.
1: You might find it a little bit tedious, but I do quote from the Local Government Act 993. Is this bit. like a
0: little like bedside reading? You have that in the Bible <laughs> sitting next to you or something, do
1: you? <laughs> in the morning, at night, time, everything. But it is one of those funny things that you might make an assumption about what you do or how you do things, but that is what we have to follow. Council laws and council have got a prescribed set of rules as to what to follow. And mm. there is always some ambiguity and in interpretation, but you've got to follow that. Mm. Now, it does have a Dubbo connection there because Jerry Peacock, who is oh, passed yes, away, yes, but Jerry yes. Peacock was the member for Dubbo from 81 to 99. But more importantly, mm. he was the Minister for Local Government from the 6th of June 91 to the 26th of May 1993. Mm. And the Local Government Act that we work under now... Was passed on the twenty first of May, nineteen ninety three. So, so it
0: was under Jerry's control, basically. Under Jerry's
1: control, that's mm. right. So I know Sam Peacock, Jerry's son, yes. often yeah. says that Jerry wrote the act. That might be putting Jerry's weights up a little bit. There were probably <laughs> other people involved in writing the act, yes. but yeah. Jerry was the responsible minister, so yeah. certainly had a lot to do with it. Now it's a great s- legacy to
0: sort of leave behind all these oh, years later.
1: Absolutely. Now the section that I take note—well, take note of all sections of it—but the mm. section I look at from time to time is Section two two six. And section 226 defines the roles of the mayor or the role of the mayor. And obviously, you've got lots of things that you do and lots of interpretation. Mm. But one of the things that some people think is that the mayor has got all this power. Mm. And I often talk about the fact that I actually don't have any power. And if I quote a couple of sections, for example, it says the mayor is to be the spokesperson of the governing body, including representing the views of the council. So it's not the views mm. of Matthew Dickerson mm. it's the views of councillors the majority vote of councillors so mm. my personal view my personal no. vote doesn't really matter that much no. and some people sometimes say oh well what's the mayor going to do with this well mm. the mayor's going council to do what councillors tell the mayor yeah, to do Absolutely. and yeah. and I'm, I'm actually breaching the act if I don't follow the mm. resolution if the resolution says we're going to go down path a and I yeah. say oh I think we should be going down path B mm. regardless of how I voted and you've heard me say that before yeah. the vote of council is relevant there's yeah. now a resolution that's right and that's where it applies the other thing that's interesting is that the mayor is to and I'm quoting again here from the act mm. is to ensure the timely development of policies of the council and to promote the effective and consistent implementation of of policies of the council. So mm. developing and implementing policies of the council, not policies of Matthew Dickerson. No, no. Policies of the council. And the, there are a few sections that refer to policies of the council. And I, I make mm. that point specifically. It's about the policies of the council. How do we get a policy of the council? We get that via a resolution of mm. council. We get that mm. via a majority vote of council. Mm. We've talked today about Belgravia Leisure. Yes. Now, if my opinion was internal or another individual firm or whatever... It doesn't matter
0: once that decision's made.
1: There's a resolution of council that says Belgravia Leisure, and I'm going to go out there and I'm going to talk about Belgravia Leisure because that's the decision of council. The other thing that it does talk about, which I I take this very seriously to the point where we're doing this podcast as a Mm. direct result of this, it says the mayor is to promote civic awareness... Mm. And I think one of the things that's important about that is that I see part of my job is to make sure there is a a constant stream of accurate and factual information about activities of council, about the policies of council, and again, as a spokesperson for council to Mm. make sure I'm representing the views of council, of councillors accurately, which is hard because you might have a variety of different opinions. In that process and one council might say, hold on, you didn't say correctly what I was talking about, mm. but I've got to make sure I've stated correctly what council in totality yes. result.
0: Well, I know you've said many, many times, Matt, about the whole idea, the fact that part of the reason, again, why we do this podcast is to get that information out there, don't you know, like in every week you do that. And I know some people don't necessarily like to sort of hear what the results are sometimes, <laughs> but at least they get to hear the process and this is how it works. So yeah, and again, you're fulfilling the role of the act.
1: Well, I, I hopefully I'm doing that to the nth degree. Yeah. So I've got a number of radio segments that I do. Mm. I can't remember the last time I refused any interview with the media, whether it be TV, newspaper or radio. Yeah. I've got a regular segment I write in the newspaper. Again, I'm open to yeah. – I don't have anything regular on TV, but I, I'm open to that idea. I post a lot of activities on socials, and I see that as a, a, or more or less a, a one-way stream. Mm. I can't answer everything that I'm tagged in on social media just because it would be impossible to respond to all of those. It's too many, yep. but I don't, I've never ignored a phone call. I've never ignored an email. If someone wants to get an answer for something, send an email to mayor at dubbo.nsw.gov.au mm. and I focus on trying to keep my inbox at zero. It's yeah. hard to get it to zero, but G- to keep well it minimal. Well, do that, I tell you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so all of those different things, there's different ways to communicate, mm. but my job is to make sure I'm sending out the information. Yeah. That's the official information from council. I make sure it's accurate. You know that I do an extensive amount of research to make yes. sure that the figures and the data I'm presenting, as we have our discussions, it's not just oh, no. No, that's not making me these up guess. every week. Yeah. Exactly right. And if I'm not sure of it, I'll say I'll approximate, yeah. or it's, it's pretty clear and obvious. So yeah. the information has to be accurate and has to be hmm. spot on with that. So it's interesting. Yeah. But again, if you're not sure about something that council is doing, refer to the act.
0: Yeah. We started the show with uh, a uh, 100th birthday celebration for Parkrun for you, which was fabulous. I think it's nice. Maybe we finish the show with what's coming up there in regards to Parkrun. Uh, I feel as though I should be getting some, uh, if there's a financial kickback here for the Dubbo Park Run, so I feel as though today's the day to get it. Um, Next week, of course, the Park Run celebrates its 8th birthday here in town. So that's uh, Saturday, 8th of July for its 8th birthday. Exactly right. So is there any special little celebration you're aware
1: of, Matt, that might be coming up for that? Well, I'd encourage people to go to Park Run regardless, but in particular on this one, eighth birthday celebration. And again, you've heard me say that I think Park Run does an absolutely wonderful job. Lots of people are active great in community Dubbo. event oh, you, fantastic. Know, you don't have
0: to be a runner like me. I'm, I'm a s- <laughs> just let me just rephrase that. I'm not a runner, just like me. <laughs>
1: so I think it is great and they do do a celebration each year on their anniversary yes. On their birthday is the incorrect term because Park Run, you're not actually having a birthday, you're having an anniversary of the mm. creation of Dubbo yeah. Park Run, I'm yes. being pedantic now, but on this 8th anniversary, they're doing a bit of a celebration. They'll have a, a cake to cut there. Oh, wonderful. I'll say a few words at it to say what a wonderful job they've done. But I've also managed to find some little things for them to give away. Oh, little on the things. Day. Now, I'll let...
0: It's quite cryptic of you.
1: Yeah, I'll let Park Run talk about that a bit more. They may talk about it during the week. They may save oh, it up until Saturday, oh, Special, Saturdays special surprise July. there, maybe. It, for, it may will you be. You've got to get
0: there next week now to find out what the little things are. So
1: instead of people giving a present for... An anniversary, as often yes. happens, you'll be getting a anniversary present from Park Run. Maybe not everyone, mm. but maybe some random people mm. will be chosen to Excellent. receive some sort of gift. So I like it. If you haven't made it on the Park Run for a while, or if you haven't made a Park Run for, for hey. a, every week, I'd strongly encourage you to go along on the eighth of July. They do get some wonderful numbers, even though it's mm. being cold. They do yeah. get some wonderful numbers there. Absolutely. But congratulations to them on going so well for yeah. so long.
0: It just keeps getting stronger and stronger, doesn't it?
1: It does indeed.
0: Well Matt, it's come to that time of the show where it's time for your Limerick of the Week. So my friend, what have you got for us this week?
1: Well, I thought the blood concept would be good enough. Actually, speaking of Limericks, off, yeah. I was doing some work last night and I wasn't watching the cricket, but I had the yeah, yes. radio going, well, yes. I had a streaming service going with ABC Radio Excellent. on it, yes. listening to the cricket, yes. and Jim Maxwell was talking, and of course it's going out via the BBC, and then... Broadcast through ABC. And Jim Maxwell said he was having dinner with a friend of his the night before Mm -hmm. who loves his limericks. Oh, okay. And Josh Tung was bowling at the time and he said, surely there's a good limerick out there involving Josh Tung. Has anyone got a limerick out there? Well, no, there's a challenge for me. So so I stopped the work that I was doing, wrote a couple of limericks with Josh Tung in those limericks. But then it's the BBC, so they were talking about texting to the BBC and so I couldn't text to ah. that. I was trying to work out how to actually yep. get them to Jim Maxwell. Yep. In the end, I just found his Twitter handle and put a couple of posts on Twitter with my, yes. my Limerick's respond? on there. Well, not by the time I finished yeah. when, when he went off air. Uh, they had a couple of Limerick's there but people still don't get the Limerick concept. They've got to mm. understand the structure of a mm. limerick properly. So mm-hmm. there were a few it's limericks It's a highly there. structured piece of poetry. It is, absolutely. So there are a few there, but I just love the idea that here we are listening to the cricket from the other yeah, side of the world yeah. and the limericks were one of the topics of conversation. Beautiful. Some people might say there's not much happening in the cricket, so you've, you've got other things <laughs> to talk about. They do
0: tend to be a bit of uh, filling in, let's just say.
1: That's right. So that's a side aside. there. Here we go <laughs> for, for the limerick this week. Dubbo, counsellors, bold and brave, decided it was blood they'd save Donations were their call to one and to all creating a life-saving wave. Oh,
0: well done. I think you've absolutely nailed the the nuances of the limerick with that one there this week. Well, folks, that just about wraps us up for another one of the Straight from the Merrill Mouth. Until next week, everyone, take care.
1: Straight from the Meryl's Mouth with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo
0: Regional Council.